process, before productivity, before consequence, there is you. Before community, before responsibility, before the right thing to do, there is the gut. Welcome to Eyes Eye, a podcast in favor of vision and capacity. My name is Nashkyu, and this is a David Demawi recipe. Enjoy. Your thoughts, not your feelings, decide nothing. Obey the gut, right there in the intestines. There is the eye's eye. Where am I going? If I just collapsed back there, I would be better off. If I were dead back there, there would be nothing. Yeah, I like that today part because I feel that I'm different person every day or you know every other day or so today i am emma lee not emma not lee i've never been lee i'm sometimes emma i have to admit that um i am quite a happy person today i think that's also that has to do with the sun the beautiful sun yeah shining finally um yeah today i just I don't feel like I don't feel like bragging about all these things that I do mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. normally if this was this official event my name is Emily I do research uh, black seeds back um, so yeah those are two things that I do um, but other than that I'm just really Emily and I'm happy to be here I mean, I still remember, I can still remember dreams I had when I was a six-year-old or seven-year-old. Are you serious? Yeah, but then my first memory ever. Wow. No, there, there are just, just have glimpses of, of these bits and pieces and images that come to mind, but not necessarily a first memory. But when I go back, I think it will be around the age of four, four or five, living in a very high building. Um, We were on the fifth. My grandmother lived on the 13th. Um, Yeah, so that's me, my mom and my sister. And then, you know, my grandmother was really close to us. So we were four women three generations and I'm the only black kid in the family I mean my mom's side uh, not in the neighborhood because we lived in a very should I say multicultural quote-unquote social neighborhood okay um, so I was definitely not the only black kid in school and in the neighborhood so you know representation was there Okay. Not on TV, but, how you know, in soon, real life. How soon did you know you were a black kid? Oh, that's... I always knew. Hmm. I always knew. <laughs> um, first, because that's also what I saw around me. Even though my mom... I, I cannot remember not being black, actually. Even though my mom is not black, my sister is not black, my grandmother is not black, my dad is black, and I was always... I was always... I, I really related to him 
somehow. Mm-hmm. Maybe my mom or my mom gave me that feeling, or my mom kind of. I don't want to say. To be connected somehow. I think yeah, that's what she somehow tried in the beginning, um, and I think also because it was some kind of a spectacle that I, you know, that's why I still remember that it was about driving all the way to to another city to see my dad and then being in this whole other environment and then you know not speaking Dutch anymore and so. All that was an event in itself, so I think that's why I knew, and it was for me because it was my dad. My yes. sister has a different dad; she's mm-hmm. she's white, um, so she's racialized as white, by the way, because I don't really, <laughs> I don't really believe we, you know, we are white or black or whatever. Okay, we'll get there. Um, so so that was really part of who I was, and. I felt that it was important to me, or my mom wanted to be important to me, and my dad wanted to be important for me too, um, because he always told me these stories about Africa as if it was a country, and I believed that for a long time, <laughs> um, which was also confusing because the people in my na- the kids in my neighborhood were also black and like their skin tone came closer to mine but they were afro-caribbean or surinamese and you know they didn't have this connection i mean in their experience to to the african continent or to africa so that was something completely different um I haven't changed at all from what I was. Just killing enemies, only to survive. Where do I want to go? Where? We moved away when I was 13, um, but my grandmother um, still lived there. She passed away five years ago, um, but she lived there until then. Um, But then she moved to another floor. She moved to the seventh. Anyway, um, so yeah, one is about this big pot of soup that looks like puke. Hmm. And all I see is I just look at it. And that's where I wake up. It's really weird, but I had this dream a million times. And I can still clearly see that when I think of it. And I, I don't have that dream anymore. I always had it when I lived in that building. Okay. Um, so I don't know what that means. Um, I never make soup for myself. <laughs> like, and also, like, when people invite me to eat soup or... Yeah, that, that's quite... Nah. A colleague of mine suggested to have soup over lunch. And I was like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) Nah. And it's not that, you know, I consciously think that, oh no, because I had this dream and I don't like soup. Because it's not, I do eat soup sometimes. And that's totally fine. But, like, the first thing that comes to mind when somebody suggested soup is like, no, like, why? Why would you even ask me this? This is. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. No, just no. And and I just noticed that at home I, I never really I never make soup. Hmm. So Yes. 
this building where I lived, there were actually three of them. And the one in the middle next to mine, um, that's the building where most of my friends lived. So in real life, I go there almost every day, um, take the elevator and, you know, go pick up my friends. Okay. But you have to imagine I'm, I'm, I'm six, seven, you know, pretty young. Um, maybe even five, no. Yeah, I was really young when I just played outside by myself. Um, but I, I guess times changed. <laughs> yeah, also, <laughs> because also I, I uh, wouldn't, in Holland, no, it was, yeah, it was normal, right, for kids yeah, to be outside Yeah, and now, playing. like, if I would have a five-year-old, I'm not sure if I would let them play outside. Really? Like, there are no playgrounds, first of all, and I felt that yeah, in my time there were a lot. Did, right? Yeah, um, but I was, yeah, I was going to school by myself at five. And then in my dream, I would do that same thing, go to that building, ring the bell, get in, take the elevator, and then all of a sudden there's this woman in the elevator, mm -hmm. an Asian woman, I remember that. And she kind of wanted something from me, from me, I don't know what, but she really insisted, like, look at me, something like this, really weird. Wow, that, like, that's just something look at me. Yeah. <laughs> And I just stare at the floor and I'm just waiting for, you know, the elevator to open its doors. Without and looking at her. Without looking at her, but I knew what she looked like. Which is crazy because how would I know that she's an Asian woman? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she wasn't aggressive and she wasn't, but I felt that I shouldn't look at her and I shouldn't go with her. And like, I, I don't know what she wanted from me, but... And it's also a dream that I had several times, and I still remember that. Um, like, okay, I don't want to go into all the details of my childhood, mm -hmm. but, you know, when this dream occurred, and when I was living in this neighborhood, I was not really focused on... I mean, I always had this... Um, this feeling that I had to fight for justice <laughs> okay. whether it was for the animals for the environment for quote-unquote Africa <laughs> you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Um, you had a boy scout spirit at the age of nine ten it was becoming more specific so that is at the age of nine I stopped eating meat but I also started feeling a type of way about myself because of the color of my skin I felt sorry for the animals, but I also remember that I always had this, I wanted some sort of a discipline mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in my life. I felt really, I really had difficulties with, with my own skin. Um, mm -hmm. And also, you know, I was much more conscious of the dynamics between my mom and dad and how my white family perceived my dad as part of this larger black community who could not do anything right in society somehow and then we were living in the middle of you know this community of Surinamese and mostly Antillian people and then I just had to cross a bridge and then I was in this white kind of bungalow residency neighborhood and that's where my grandmother was babysitting some children and they I was kind of, yeah, I was also playing with, with, with these children. So my world was really split. And then changing schools, going to 
well, still a mixed school, but not the most black school in the neighborhood that was stigmatized. Um, also had some had many difficulties at school, especially with one Surinamese. Uh, she was my teacher for two years, and in the beginning she was amazing, and I could really relate to her. And you know, and at some point I don't know what happened, but she she hated me so much. I've never felt hated as much as when she was my teacher. You're a kid, you're vulnerable, and you don't really know what is going on, but if you are set apart at the beginning of the year without a reason really from the rest of the kids, and you know, they are the, the teacher is not giving you any attention anymore, it doesn't even look at your work anymore, and you're just there for the rest of the year. And then people don't, don't give a shit. Boy, you still alive? Yeah, think so. You have the devil's own luck. Come on. <sighs> on the battlefield, a soldier's life is worth no more than a silver coin, as if it were nothing. Most men's lives are controlled by a handful of nobles for the convenience of royalty. Well, even a king should be unable to live his life as he pleases. I was perceived as a difficult kid. Um because I was very outspoken. I always asked questions. Um, but I have seen difficult kids too. And I wouldn't, I didn't identify with these quote unquote difficult kids. Kids that would really not listen, be aggressive. Maybe that was me actually. I just can't imagine that was me, especially because at home, and outside of that class at school, because it was not just her, it was, they kind of, she just was the worst. Um, but they kind of told the upcoming, uh, the, the, the following teacher. Yeah, this is a difficult one. Um, this is a difficult right one, be careful, be strict. And then, you know, that's like, but the thing is, she was really nice in the beginning. And I was like, oh, finally, I'm accepted. She's giving me an honest chance. and. You imagine that as an eight-year-old, I'm thinking that, hmm. that somebody is giving me a chance, that somebody is nice to me. Yeah, I, w I was really outspoken and I didn't take things, I I, when things didn't make sense to me, I didn't do it until it made sense. What I've been doing now is to train myself, to express myself in a way, to make myself clear in a way that I couldn't when I was that kid. But actually, I'm still that kid and I, I, I have the same values. I think the same way. And I don't want to change. I mean, even though I have felt really bad about this situation and about this, this teacher in particular for quite some years, it has made me, it has made me stronger um, in many ways. Um, so I guess it was something I just had to go through um, and it had to happen in order to get where I am now so but you know what I I really I always tell myself okay don't get into personal things don't throw your life at the table mm. what I'm really good at by the way okay for other people to hear because uh, mm. I don't know I feel so 
Well, not ashamed, but so vulnerable. And so, like, I have thrown all these little pieces of my former experiences on it at the table now, but mm -hmm. how does that make sense to the listener? Like, how can the listener not now perceive me as this weird person that doesn't have it together? Maybe weird is not the right word. It's just as a black woman in a white-dominated society, you are already vulnerable before you've said anything, before people, you know, grasp anything. So that means that people already think certain things about you and you're already devalued, delegitimized, is that a word? And looking at how I, how I went, how, how I tried to go about that myself personally is make sure I know how to talk, make sure I know how to present myself, make sure I have a degree so people cannot just tell me, oh, um, you might be right, but what's your expertise? So... And I think I'm not the only one who experiences that. But then still, especially in this whole climate of black bodies being put to the forefront now all of a, all of a sudden in, in the name of decolonization and having to tell their personal stories, again to be put into this very vulnerable position. And that is something that I have difficulties with. Because, on the one hand, I'm really proud at where I'm from, um, even though it may not have been perfect. Um, I was not raised in a rich family or a wealthy family. I was, I, I didn't grow up in, in a house. It was an apartment, it was a flat. You know, um, many people look down on that. Mm -hmm. It was a social building, social housing, it was a social neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. went to a black school. And most of my teenage years, I tried to run away from that image. I wanted people to perceive me as something else. And I realized that what I wanted to be was or where I wanted to be is to, to fit into this picture of perfect whiteness which equals wealthy um, I mean not poor mm -hmm. having it all together um, being perceived as intelligent even before you have opened your mouth and said anything talented not just dancing and sports having all the chances in the world really and not being perceived as, a, as that stereotype. Um, but actually I am that stereotype. But that stereotype is only part of the story. That's why it's a stereotype. We all are swept by this tide known as fate until we eventually leave this world. We will run out of time and the tide of life will recede before we know who we really are. In this world, there must be one man whose preordained course of life is the key to ruling the world. 
regardless of his existing social position or class. All these years I've, trying, I've been trying to, to, to run away from that image to get this white legitimacy. Until at a certain point, you know, I, I got depressed and I, I saw that something wasn't right and I could not keep running for the rest of my life because it was never enough. Um, having a degree, a university degree, would not be enough. Um, speaking a certain way, being able to use certain words won't be enough. Having only white friends doesn't make you white. Dating a white person and having lighter skinned or maybe white passing children will not give you that value because that value doesn't come, doesn't need to come from that white gaze. It has to come from yourself, first of all. And that whole idea of whiteness and then coloredness and blackness, everything that is not white, is a social construct that is already wrong in itself. So from the moment I realized that, I started first deconstructing that for myself and then trying to deconstruct that on different levels outside of me to kind of do something and mean something for like other people maybe people that have experienced the same thing as I have or people children that are you know mm -hmm. children that are going to experience that same thing or could experience that same thing um, because that structure is still alive and kicking still in place no? Yeah, and and that is something that I'm trying to navigate through because I am at quite an exceptional place, I feel. Um, I am doing a PhD. Like, I never thought, you know, growing up, my parents never talked about that. I didn't know what a PhD was until the age of 22, to be completely honest. I hear you. I was doing a master's and I had no idea that I can do more than that. You know, because I already made it this far and I'm the first in my family to, made it, to make it this far. So how could I have known? So along the way, I'm learning all these new things. And at the same time, I'm looking back and I feel alienated sometimes um, my past and myself and mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. okay. my background and that sometimes feels wrong and at the same time so, it's so I, it feels like I cannot rhyme my current life and the things I'm fighting for with um, no, maybe I cannot rhyme the things I'm fighting for with the life I'm living now because I'm no longer that person, even though I already try to make peace with the person that I am. But things are not that black-white, I suppose. So it's all this process. But it's a, it's a paradox somehow. Because I am where I want it to be, but I don't want it to be white anymore. It's interesting because there was no person to 
helped me go through that. I think it was an accident. Um, because I was quite radical. You know, I see a lot of people around me that I can sense that I, they kind of go through the similar strug- struggle and they might not be completely okay with themselves in the skin that they are in. But it's not that they hate themselves. And I felt that I went through a period of time where I really, really didn't like the, the, the body I was in. So it was quite, yeah, it was quite serious and I was at quite a deep place, quite a dark place. Um, but I don't even know how I transitioned, what triggered me. I mean, I know how I transi- but transitioned, but I don't know what was the exact moment. Um, but I have to say for sure um, that reggae, reggae music was what opened my eyes. Reggae was my guide. And it guided me to what is in me and it guided me to 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 my roots really that man could be part of this world's true privileged class that man could have the absolute power of a god i know there's something more for me it's funny i've never told this to anyone before just you I got to know Africa through reggae, whereas reggae, Jamaican reggae, is diasporic. And, you know, they, they create this music from, from a diasporic perspective, a perspective that is not even European mm-hmm. or Ghanaian, per se. My, my dad is Ghanaian, so like the, the two perspectives that I at least have were not necessarily in there. But there was something that I could relate to or something that triggered me or that had that yeah that something that brought something in me back to life no that really helped me um, so yeah, the lyrics especially the way they describe the way they really describe that whole process of colonization and what it does to to our spirits and to our mind and to the way we perceive ourselves and how injustices that were put in place for 400 years cannot be undone in what five years of belgian decolonization policy you know and these things really made me think about all these things and if it wasn't for reggae i I would definitely not be here. I would say that embracing yourself is a process because we are processes as human beings. We transform constantly, which means that we have to embrace our new selves every day. Um, So that's a challenge. But it's an interesting challenge. And when I 
put bring that in relation to this whole decolonizing decolonization discourse of today that I'm a bit critical about I also have to critically reflect on my personal position in this debate and in this world because if I claim to want to honestly decolonize and I have invested so much of my time and energy in understanding all these dynamics, understanding, and I still don't fully understand them, of course, it's, it's, it will be a lifelong project, but, you know, having these degrees and being able to, to do something, what am I going to give back? And to whom? Um, I think one thing is for sure, and I have to kind of make peace with that idea, but I feel that I cannot do otherwise, is that I cannot stay in Europe. Yeah. I would consider myself and all these people of color that are doing wonderful things, like yourself uh, and a lot of friends of mine, we are diamonds and we shouldn't shine our brightness here because we are still building Europe as our ancestors were doing back in the day. Um, I think we should give back with all the privileges that we have we should be able to let go of that maybe and practice what we preach. So I'm not sure where I will end up, um, but it will not be in Europe. And I hope that my children don't have to go through the same thing, dedicating their entire lives to prove to white people that they are worthy. I don't want to do that to them. So, yeah, I think that's that. <laughs>